I need to let you know this message has been percolating in my heart for a while, for quite a while, <clears throat> even as I've been asking the Lord what he would want me to say in this holiday season that our, our country celebrates, which we call Thanksgiving. <clears throat> the truth is this, that for the believer, every day is Thanksgiving. Is there an amen to that? Another amen to that. We are um, we're to be truly thankful at all times. Scripture tells us, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. I uh, was reminded of this by a dear friend. The funeral service for um, Gary Schaefer was conducted in this room on, on Friday. And I've known Gary since about the early 80s. Gary is a, uh, was a very, very fine musician. And um, sometime, I believe it was the early 80s, Gary showed up here. At Bethesda, and he was broken. He was uh, his life had been shattered. He'd gone through a pretty uncomfortable, a very uncomfortable divorce, and um, he he was just he was pretty much a wreck by the time he got here. And being a musician, he was very affected by the music. He was very grateful for the ministry of music. Being someone who'd been involved in ministry, and I believe a pastor's son, he uh, was certainly also very very. Um, very impacted by the word given by, by Pastor Des. And so, you know, it was one of those things, church, we were just doing what we do. I, I was doing music and Pastor Des was, was preaching. For some, somehow, in the grace of the Lord, though, that had great impact upon Gary's life. And, and I, I was reminded as I stood at the casket on Friday that I, I believe this is a true statement, and Becky can verify this, from the early 80s until just about two years ago when Gary's physical condition uh, became so severe, during that entire time, spans 30-some years, I don't think I ever went more than 14 or 16 months, something like that, without Gary calling me, not a member of this church. He, he had left here after his time of healing, and, and he went on to serve uh, in other churches in music ministry all around Northeast Tarrant County. I don't think I ever went more than 14, 16 months at the most without Gary calling me and the, and, and the conversation was the same every time. He just would say, Dan, I just have to let you know how thankful I am for what you and Pastor Des did during that time. And I, it was always a bit of a mystery to me. I don't know what we did. I, I honestly don't know what we did. But he, he kept saying he was so lavish and all, to the point I almost wanted to say, I get it, Gary, you're thankful. I get it. Because he said it over and over and over and over again. So I stood at the casket remembering how many times and, and, and how long he had expressed his thanks to me. And I'm sure he did the same to Pastor Des. And I stood and I said, Gary, one more time, you're welcome. And one more time, I want you to know, I want to say to you, you taught me how to be a grateful person. And that someone who's truly grateful, who truly has a heart of thanksgiving, it doesn't dissipate over time. And it was an incredible blessing to me. And, you know, it reminded me also of this, church. <clears throat> I, like I told you, I don't know what we did. I, I don't know that I did anything. I can't point to anything that we did, didn't do anything. He came to our, my office. I'm sure he went to Pastor Dez's office, and we, we cried with him. We prayed with him, and we, we, we loved him and, and wanted to nurture him back to, to health and wholeness. But here's the thing. We never know the effect we're having on people. Can I just say, as I try to say often, it is so important for us to be encouragers. You don't know what the person sitting next to you is facing today. You have no idea. And yet somehow God in his sovereign grace and in the mystery of who he is and how he works through us by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will just be open to him, if we will just have a, a sensitive heart, if we will just love people, it is amazing what the Lord can do through people, through us. You may think you have no gifts. You may think you have no ministry. You may think you have no ability. But it is, it is astounding what can happen when we simply open up our hearts and just reach out to other people and bless them in the name of the Lord. Can you say amen to that today? I know it's the desire of all of our hearts to walk in the spirit of thanksgiving. And certainly that should be true for the believer. Never very far at all from that understanding and that awareness, complete awareness that says this. This is what's in the mind of a believer. All times, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. 
We should be walking in that kind of spirit. We're walking in that kind of atmosphere, reminded that he's the one who has paid the price in full for us. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to ask you to multitask. I want you to, how many can multitask? Are there any multitaskers in the room? Everybody under 40. Great. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to multitask. I'll get emails over that, I'm sure. Forgive me. I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm in the other category, by the way. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two things. I want you to listen to me while I share what the Lord has placed on my heart this morning. Some of it is extremely profound in my heart. All of it is, really. I want you to get off your devices and quit texting. And I, I want you, you know, I know you're reading your Bible. I understand that. But you're, you know, you're doing this while you're reading. <clears throat> no, really, get off your device. Quit texting. It can wait just a few minutes until worship service is over. I could take a moment on that, but let me just say, God, give us reverence for the house of the Lord. So I, I want you to do that, and I want, you, I want you to listen. Number one, listen to what I'm sharing. But while you're listening, I'm going to ask you to do something else. I want you to think of three things that you are thankful, truly grateful for today. You can do that. You can listen to me, and you can begin to think about three things that you're grateful for, because here's what, here's what I want us to do at the end of this service today. I want us to truly give the Lord Jesus a lavish expression of thanks when we come to the end of the service today. And I want us to do it based upon some things I'm gonna share, that I'm going to share with you. I want you to think of three things that you are truly grateful for. And, and let, me, let me help you with at least a couple of them, not that you need my help. But I want to help you with a couple of them today because most of us, when we, when we start our thank you list and the things we're, we're thankful for, many of us can easily come up with a list of, of things that we're, that we're thankful for. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you come to the first thing of the three things I'm asking you to come up with, the first thing, instead of it being you're thankful for a car or, or a house or, or a job or possibly if the Lord blessed you with a raise recently or, or some opportunity, instead of that, let's make the first thing we're thankful for a person. Make it a person. Someone, someone who opened a door of opportunity for you. Some, someone who really helped you. Someone who taught you something significant that has impacted your life greatly. Someone whose impact on you has been so enormous that maybe you can't even express it or you haven't even expressed it, expressed it to them. Someone who, when you think about them, you, you almost want to weep because of the, the generosity of their heart and the giving of themselves to you in some expression or, or, or measure of grace. That's the first thing I, I want you to think of. I want you to think of a person. The second thing I want you to be grateful for and I want you to think about is sometime in your life, as you look back over the journey of your life, sometime in your life that the Lord has covered you. It could have played out another way. It could have happened some other way. The truth is, you messed up. How many have messed up in the room? Anybody messed up? Keep your hand up if you've messed up more than once. The rest of you, I don't know what to do with you. But When the truth is, only you and the, the Lord know what really happened. Because somehow God in his infinite mercy giving you that which you did not deserve kept you from getting that which you did deserve. Somehow God in his mercy made it possible for you and he covered you. How many are thankful today for the covering of the Lord? Now, you're not going to have to tell it. You're not going to have to express it. We're not going to get in little groups and tell our life story. All that are grateful say hallelujah. Well, that's the best response I've had all day. You're not going to have to do that. It's, nobody probably even needs to know or wants to know your business. We've all got our own story, right? So that, that's not going to happen. But I want you to think of a person who's had great impact on you that you're grateful for. And then I want you to think of a time when the incredible mercy of God covered you. It could have happened another way, but God in his mercy protected you. And then the third one we're going to talk about a little later on, and you may come up with, with your own list. But you and I have a Thanksgiving problem today. Because for most of us, the problem is that though we might be able to muster up a somewhat surface thank you for a few things or even for many things, to go beyond that, 
To go beyond the surface is, is challenging because most of us are living in less than perfect circumstances. Most of us are. I would dare say the person sitting on your right and the person sitting on your left is living in less than perfect circumstances. And so in my effort to ask you to begin to dig deep within and go beyond the surface and not just the surface things that you're thankful for, but, but, but begin to think of things that really connect with your heart, something that's really had impact. Go, go deeper than that. But sometimes it's hard for us because we, we have a limit to our true gratitude when just beneath the surface we're much more concerned today with how difficult life still is and the problems we still have. And some folks even have to wade through waves of resentment to even get close to any measure of gratitude. And then we come to the situation this year. I mean, the Thanksgiving holiday seems all messed up this year. Have you been watching the news? Trust me, I've been asking myself, Dan, how do you preach a Thanksgiving message and encourage people to be grateful with all this mess going on? How do you do that? We come to Thanksgiving 2015, and I have to ask myself, isn't it supposed to be different? Isn't the atmosphere is supposed to be like a, like a Norman Rockwell painting, and shouldn't we be singing over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house we go? And, and isn't there this sort of magical sense that all is well that we should feel in this holiday? I mean, where's the fairy dust? We sprinkle it over our holidays. I don't find it this year because of the mess that's going on. And our reality, church, is this. While we may experience a measure of the Norman Rockwell painting atmosphere this weekend, I hope you do, we are doing it against a backdrop of unspeakable unrest in a, in a world in utter turmoil and, and, and a less than perfect picture of the safe American dream. You know what I'm talking about, right? And that's the condition of the world. Only you and God know what your personal situation is like and what that backdrop looks like as you face Thanksgiving. My guess is there are some less than perfect aspects to your life as you go into this week. We know our hearts are to be thankful, but our reality is so very challenging, which brings us to this truth that I want to share with you. And that is this. Oh, I hope somebody gets this. If Thanksgiving is simply a feeling based upon a casual reflection of your comfortable circumstances... And it is not that which is an act of your will, then you've not yet begun to plummet the depths of both the responsibility and the benefits of a truly grateful heart. Simply put, thanksgiving is not a feeling, it is an act of my will. Say it with me. Thanksgiving. Surely you have more passion than that. Say it again. Thanksgiving is not a feeling. I'm really asking for your undivided attention for just a few moments because I, I need to unpack an idea that's not going to be easy for me to do today. And it's an idea that's been brewing in me for days, maybe two or three weeks. And while it may momentarily seem unrelated to the theme of Thanksgiving, if you'll go with me on this journey this morning, I, I promise to tie it all together at the end and, and hopefully the Lord's going to have something for us here and I believe that. I have a tendency, this is just talking about Dan, I have a tendency to occasionally lock into an idea that becomes a lens through which I see much of what I'm facing at any given season or any given period of time. And I've had that happen recently. Such a situation has taken place. Now, let me, let me give this disclaimer. I'm certainly not claiming that I originated the idea, but I also want you to know it's not something that I read or heard anybody else talk about at least in, in my recent past at all. Airlines and hotels have become masters at giving us incentives to be loyal to them. Many of you are members of a, of a loyalty program, a frequent flyer program, either with an airline or, or, or with a, a hotel. They, they are literally called loyalty programs whereby they award you with points for flying their airline or staying at their hotel. And many of us take advantage of cashing in those points and receiving the benefit of our loyalty to these companies. And that's great. And like me, 
you may receive plenty of junk mail from other companies asking for you to give your loyalty to them or to another airline or to this credit card or to this hotel chain. And often there are plenty of good options out there. So much so that they can easily become confusing. Well, this seems like a good option. They've got all kinds of incentive. Oh, no, I'm looking at this one. This seems like a good option, and that seems good too. And we are often presented with the option of choosing between good or great or better or what appears to be best, at least as it appears to us today, according to how you see it right now. Sometimes you learn later that it was not all it was cracked up to be, or at least not as it appeared initially. But that's the choice that you have in determining where your loyalty is going. What has struck me recently is that I have found myself in situations where I have been forced to look at options and choose, hear me, according to that which is my first loyalty. My first loyalty loyalty. Say that phrase with me. First. Sometimes now it's a matter of choosing between apples and oranges, so to speak. Sometimes it's a matter of I'm having to choose between good and gooder. Pardon the usage there. Sometimes all the options there have seemed to have some degree of positive merit. At least that's when I'm dealing with positive choices. Unfortunately, there are also times when I'm stuck having to choose between the lesser of two evils. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Between bad and badder. And it's a choice. If it's a choice between something good and something bad, that's a no-brainer. That's, no, that's not hard. But that's not the way it always is for me. And I'm sure that's not the way it always is for you. Many times a choice must be made. But the options are good and, and good. They might even be noble and, and noble. You might even say, you know, there's not, a, there's not a wrong choice here, but I've got to make one. Or it's a decision between, on the negative side, uncomfortable and also uncomfortable. Or rotten and really rotten. Or a decision between stink, stank, and stunk. I don't know. And what I've discovered is this. I must learn to prayerfully identify that which is my First loyalty, and with God's help, make my decision accordingly. What or who is it that gets my first commitment? Where do my energies, efforts, and resources go first? Paul, in speaking to Timothy about caring for the widows, he uses this phrase when he says in 1 Timothy 5, he says, don't, don't put the younger widows on your list. My experience is that when their natural desires grow stronger than their spiritual devotion to Christ, they want to marry again, thus proving themselves unfaithful to their first loyalty. So it's, it's a biblical phrase, this thing called first loyalty. And it has to do with, with choices and choices that reflect your heart. Sometimes choices for good things. Sometimes choices to avoid bad things. But choices that prove your first loyalty as a reflection of your heart. Let me give you three quick examples. One of the things Becky and I faced recently is that we had to decide if we were going to go to our son's wedding, which had been scheduled for months or a year or so in, in, in Maui. By the way, Dwayne and Janet Betzel were there, and they send their greetings to our congregation. The problem is, the problem for us was this. Her mother, as most of you know, had suffered a stroke on October 4th. And again, we thank you for being so, such a gracious fellowship to us and continuing to love her as she's, she's still uh, lingering. I never dreamed I would be in the situation of having to decide, do we stay by the side of our dying mother or do we go to our son's wedding? That's literally the situation we were. And Becky and I talked and prayed and talked and prayed about it over and over. And the one thing we knew is whatever decision we made, there would be a line of people who would have thought that we should have made the other decision. That's just the way it is. But we had to make a decision based upon loyalty. It turned out fine. I, we, I went to my mother-in-law a few nights before we were to get on the plane. I said, Jerry, here's what we're facing. She's still very cognitive, and, and she said, oh, no, 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 you need to go. So the truth is, Jerry made the decision for us. God gave us grace. She's still here when we got back, and we're so thankful for that. But I'm having to decide first loyalty. Let me give you another example in my effort to try to 
get this idea across to you today. I hope you're listening to me. I'm going to go somewhere with this, I promise. Many people love to talk about the kingdom of God. And I'm glad I'm part of the kingdom of God. Can I get a witness on that today? We are part of the kingdom of God. And some people wave the kingdom banner to the point of it's just out there and we're part of this large, and we are. We're part of the family of God. But can I tell you, when you speak of the kingdom to me, the microcosm of the kingdom of God to me is in this room in Bethesda Community Church, in the people in this room today. My first loyalty goes right here. I believe in the kingdom. We give ourselves to the kingdom. We give ourselves to efforts in the kingdom of God. We support financially. We do all kinds of other things. We are trying to be always, even to our community and to our world, the hands of Jesus extended as we've been called to be. We reach because we are part of the large. We are a tiny part of the whole of the kingdom of God. Barely a drop in the bucket, as it were. But my first loyalty, when you talk to me about the kingdom of God, my first thoughts, my first loyalty is right here. 4,700 North Beach, and the fellowship of which I'm a part and involved in covenant relationship. First loyalty. And there are times when I am forced to have to consider and make choices based upon, but what is my first loyalty? My third example is going to get me in trouble, and I know it. And will fill my inbox before the service is out, I'm sure. But I'm going to say this. I do not use this pulpit to make political statements. I think at times it can be unbecoming when that happens for a pastor to do that. Not in all cases. I'm not speaking of others. I'm just talking about for me. But I can tell you this. When there is a militant minority of people wanting to come into our country, <clears throat> unfortunately, well, let me, let me back up. Let me say this. Within any people group, there is a peaceful, typically a peaceful majority in most people groups. But unfortunately, the militant minority tends to render the peaceful majority somewhat irrelevant in that situation when the militant minority engage in barbaric behavior. And I am forced to identify and adhere to my first Loyalty. I, I don't find that a hard decision at all. Do I believe in humanitarian efforts? Absolutely. Do I want our country to be able to open its doors and stretch out its arms to the tired and the poor? No doubt about it. But in circumstances like this, I have a first loyalty, which is to protect our people from the savagery of those who would set out to destroy us. That's not a hard decision. <clears throat> That's what I'm talking about when I say identify my first loyalty. My first loyalty goes to my family. My first loyalty goes to my church. Are there other situations out there? Yes. Are there also good options out there? Yes. Are there good things to be done out there? Yes, but I am forced at times to identify my first loyalty. And we must learn to identify and act according to our first loyalty. Now, what on earth, Dan, does that have to do with Thanksgiving? Let me show you one more thing, and then I'm going to tie it all together, I promise. How many are still with me this morning? <clears throat> they say that when all the money's gone and all the bills keep coming and there are more bills than money and it becomes relentless, there's a way out and they call it filing chapter 7 bankruptcy. It means you have no resources, you have no way to pay anything and it's called chapter 7. If it happens to you, unfortunately, it goes on your record for at least a decade, makes things hard for you, very difficult to buy a home, a car, getting any kind of loan. But there is one other bankruptcy that is referred to as Chapter 13. 
And while there are some similarities between a chapter 7 bankruptcy and a chapter 13 bankruptcy, chapter 13 means that though you have more bills than money and you really can't pay any more than you're paying, the interesting thing that this bankruptcy, chapter 13, allows is that you allow to state that you have but one resource that you can commit to use and you will call upon that one resource. It, and I want to take you to the bankruptcy of a man in Scripture in, chapter, in a chapter 13, which once again means you have nothing but one resource. And just let me say, if there's anyone who's come to church today and you feel like you're ready to give up and you have absolutely nothing else, can I just remind you this morning that you can file a chapter 13 that means that you have but one resource and his name is Jesus. <laughs> bankruptcy is filed in this 13th psalm that we're going to go to. If you want to open your Bibles. And I'm going to read this bankruptcy psalm to you and see what happens. Even as I remind you, don't forget, you're thinking of three things that you're grateful for. A person, circumstance where God covered you, and one other. Going to Psalm 13, listen to the desperation of this man, the psalmist David. Psalm 13, just six verses, where he says, Oh Lord, I, I, don't, think, I don't think I can read this with enough pathos this morning. Believe me, I, I've tried. I've tried to figure out how I can convey this with the depth of soul, the depth of heart that is in this psalm. When you really dig into it and read it, oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, oh Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. There's the first four, six verses of the bankruptcy chapter. And then out of nowhere, I mean nowhere, this whiplash happens. It takes such a dramatic left turn that we've got to look at it today and figure out what on earth happened. The psalmist goes from four anguishing statements of how long? How long? Oh, God, how long? How long? Answer me, Lord, or I will die. But remember, in a chapter 13, you have one remaining resource that you call upon. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says in verse 5, I trust in your unfailing love. He says, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And I read that. I go, wait, 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 wait. Where did that come from? How did this man identify his First loyalty like this and act upon it. David seems to sing himself out of his trouble. He's singing his way back to his first loyalty. And he starts off with, you know, there's all kinds of nasty stuff happening all around me. Oh my goodness. Oh Lord. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's not only bad, it's, 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 it's desperate. Lord, you, you've, you've forgotten me. You're not even looking at me, God. Can't even get you to cast your eye this way. There's anguish in my soul every day, and the enemy seems to have the upper hand. How long? How long? How long? How long? And it's a complaint about timing. And yet in the six verses of this psalm, there's this amazing change after those four verses. This abrupt, abrupt pivot takes place. 
You would almost think this psalm has two different writers going on here. One is sinking lower and lower and and lower, and then all of a sudden, the chapter 13 has been filed in the first four verses, and out of nowhere, a resource deep within his soul rises up within him. I have no idea where that came from. Who knows what snapped in his thinking? Who knows what happened? But in that instant, something ignited within his soul when he identified his first loyalty, and he began to sing because God had been good to him. But haven't we all found ourselves where the psalmist did? Bemoaning our situation. God, how long will I be sick? How long are we going to struggle financially? How long will I be unemployed? How long will I be a single mom? I say with a shout out to the ladies I met this week. How long will I be stuck in this place? How long do I have to deal with this job? How long? I just have to ask, who in this house has ever cried out a prayer to God that said, how long? It's a timing issue. It's a man who is miserable with his circumstances and he wants out. And he's so aware of the delay of God. And yet here is another truth for us today. That is that delay is a great revealer of maturity. Delay is a great revealer of maturity. The delay will show you plainly how mature you really are in God. Delay will absolutely make it crystal clear where you stand in your position with God. It can show you things inside of you that you don't even want to see. And four times David asks the how long question, and he doesn't even get an answer. So not only is he upset about God's calendar, God's schedule, God's timing, but to add insult to injury, God doesn't even seem to bother to answer him when he's asking a question. And don't we all get uncomfortable when God is silent? I do. I raise my hand to that. The great devotional writer Oswald Chambers writes these amazing words. He said... Has God trusted you with his silence? A silence that has great meaning? God's silences are actually his answers. His silence is the sign that he is bringing you into an even more wonderful understanding of himself. Now I know some of you are saying, Dan, that sounds great on paper. Might read really nicely in a devotional book. That's great. But it doesn't work for me when he's not answering. And when I'm the one standing in the desperate situation. The truth is, silence does make us angry. But when you're not grateful for the seasons that you go through, then you can easily feel, church, this sense of entitlement that God has to answer you. We even sometimes can slip into the thinking that God is obligated to explain to us what's going on. Lord, I deserve an answer here. I want to know exactly what's going on. And few things bother us more than when we feel entitled to explanations and we're not getting them. And yet, the fact remains, God does not have to substantiate himself to you and to me. You didn't like that, did you? God does not have to substantiate himself to you and to me. As much as I may want it, as much as I may desire it, as much as I think I deserve it, God does not have to substantiate himself to you and to me. He doesn't need to do anything. He can sit there and be as silent for as long as he deems necessary. That's what he did with David. That's what he did with Job for so long. Until he is ready to bring you or whoever we're talking about here to the place he has planned for them. A great preacher from the 19th century was a man from Boston by the name of Phillips Brooks. He happens to be the man credited with writing the lyrics to the Christmas hymn, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He was a, a great preacher and known as a great man of poise and a, great, and a man of quiet manner. However, one day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor like a caged lion. And the friend said, so Pastor Brooks, what is the trouble? And the pastor quickly answered. He said, I can tell you what the trouble is. The trouble is this. I'm in a hurry, but God isn't. How many know what he's talking about? You need something to happen, but God doesn't seem to be doing it quickly enough for us. That's exactly what David was facing in this bankruptcy chapter, or 
Psalm 13. Let me look at the four quickly. How long will you forget me? He first asked. It feels to him that he's getting bypassed and forgotten. It looks to him that everyone else is getting deliverance. Everybody else is getting blessed. And it's the cry that says, everybody else is getting something except me. I'm going to take your silence as your understanding of what I'm talking about. And we hear the blessings of God in other people's lives, but inwardly and quietly to ourselves, aren't we saying, it's nice for them, but God, when's it my turn? And you know what, church? This is what is, gets revealed by us. It is easier to sorrow with those who sorrow than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice. Uncomfortable silence is in the room. It is easier to sorrow with those who sorrow. It's easier to give our expression to those who sorrow than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice because we're saying, Lord, when's it my turn? When do I get mine? Where's my blessing? Next he cries out, how long will you hide your face from me? Or how long will you look the other way? The Jews believed that a face always revealed the heart of a person. And David is essentially saying to the Lord, I feel like you're not even looking at me. And thirdly, he says, how long must I struggle with anguish in my soul? Or some versions say, take, to take counsel in my soul. And basically, he's coming off as a threat here saying, God, if you don't come up with an answer, then I'm going to come up with one. If you don't answer me, then I'm going to take counsel within myself. I'm going to counsel myself to figure out what needs to happen here. And finally, he says, how long will my enemy have the upper hand? It just seems like I have more defeats than victories in my life. And I've said this before, and I know it's the testimony of many of us. I have learned far more from my many failures than I ever did from my few successes. But David is saying, it seems like I have more defeats than victories. How long will the enemy come against me? It's just wave after wave after wave. How long will he have the upper hand? And then David can't get any lower than verse 3 of this psalm when he says, Lord, turn and answer me. Oh, Lord, my God, restore the sparkle to my eyes. And then this phrase so speaks of the utter desperation when he says, God, if you don't do something, if you don't enlighten my eyes, some versions say, if you don't do that, I will sleep the sleep of death. And it comes off as somewhat of a threat. In other words, if you don't do something, God, on my behalf, I'm just going to die. I'll just end it all. God, if you don't do something, I don't even want to live anymore. And that idea is not foreign to Scripture. Jonah faced it in Nineveh. Paul faced it. Jeremiah faced it. Moses faced it. Thoughts of ending it all. And you know what? That is common to man. If that's a problem that you face here, dear friend, today, or you're facing in this season of time, you're not the first and you're not the last. It's one of the enemy's top five schemes that he loves to pull over on us. And the reason I even dare and deign to bring it up this morning and to say it in, in this company of people is this. Just know the next time that he pulls that one over on you, that's one of his top five schemes. And I hope by exposing it here and putting light on it here today, the next time it happens to you, you'll go, hey, is that the best you got? Everybody else is dealing with that. So what? Yeah, I'd like to end it all. Yeah, it's tough to see a reason to go on. Why put my next foot in front of the other? Yeah, those feelings are there. They're real. They're very real. But it is common to man. And it's something many, many, many people unfortunately have faced. And it's something he's trying to pull over on so many people within the church. In the lowest of valleys, it's easy for the enemy to get right inside of us and to stop us from rising up to the place that God has for us. To stop us from identifying our first loyalty, but rather put inside of us this cancer of despair. And the despair sounds like this. Nothing's ever going to change. Nothing's ever going to be any different. And none of my questions are ever going to be answered. How long? How long? God, it's never going to happen. I thought you gave me a promise. I thought you gave me a word. And it's not happening. 
And now the how long question turns into condemnation against God, if not accusation against him, saying it will never happen. Why am I even here? Do you even exist? And then you watch questions turn into atheism and agnosticism. And finally, you reach the point of just saying, forget it. Just forget it. Because God didn't answer me when I needed him. But you're in chapter 13. And you have one resource left. And that resource is God and God alone. Arthur, come and help me. I'm going to try to tie this all together in the next few minutes. There was an attention-getting article the other day that was entitled, Not Every Caterpillar Turns Into a Butterfly. And I thought, no, that's not how it works. Don't they all? I mean, I thought that's the plan, you know. Caterpillars turn into butterflies. The article said this, even though the caterpillar will spin the cocoon and go into darkness and mucus and all this dark habitation, sometimes even with the capacity to break free and fly, there is this grub that will sometimes break through the cocoon and it will eat away at the butterfly's ability inside the cocoon when it's trying to break free. And so what happens is the butterfly is still crawling when it should be flying. This something, this grub that gets in impedes the plan of how this is supposed to work out. And nothing is worse for the believer who is designed to mount up with wings as eagles and yet is still walking around or crawling around asking God, how long, how long, how long, how long? When this grub has gotten into our spirits because we are so upset with God with all of our how long questions all the while losing sight of our first loyalty. By the way, the third thing we're going to be thankful for today, our first loyalty goes to Jesus, unquestionably so. What does that mean? It means that our first loyalty goes to him above all other voices. It means our first loyalty goes to him above all other affections, above all other interests, above the sway of the world and all that is said on Fox News or CNN, above any grub that would try to get in and thwart the purposes of God in your life. Our first loyalty is to Jesus and Jesus alone. And God is reminding you this morning that he doesn't want some negativity to get inside of you with his plan to thwart his purposes. But God wants to pull that grub out and say to you, You've been meant not to crawl around like a little caterpillar. You were designed to rise up with wings as an eagle and to do something with your life. And it's time for you to reconnect with your first loyalty and come to that pivotal moment where everything changes for you. Some of you are old enough to remember or you've got children or grandchildren who watch cartoons. Does anybody can remember what a cartoon is? Okay. There used to be this... um, thing that happened between the cartoons and I think it was called Schoolhouse Rock and there was this thing that said conjunction junction are you kidding me you knew that oh lord help us conjunction junction what's some of you still can't get that out of your mind after all these years and or but And there's this little conjunction that can change the whole sentence. That it doesn't matter what the first part of the sentence says. If you put a conjunction there, the whole story can pivot and change. And the caterpillar that's supposed to fly now can fly. Because there's this conjunction. The conjunction is this in our bankruptcy chapter. It is this. It says... But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is so good to me. Dios ha sido bueno. One version says, because he has dealt bountifully with me. 
Another version says it this way. I am singing at the top of my lungs because I am full of answered prayers. I am full of answered prayers. And once he hits that conjunction, once he has made his decision to identify and act upon his first loyalty, this psalmist, he goes from trust to joy to singing. And look at this, right in the midst of not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go. Church, there are just some moments in your life where no one else is around to encourage you. The choir is not there. The musicians and singers aren't there. There's no one to encourage you. And you've just simply got to say, but God, I trust in you. Two key words in verses 5 and 6. But, that's the conjunction that this whole thing pivots on. And because, that's the reason that we rejoice and the reason we sing. Because God has dealt bountifully with me, I have something to be thankful for. You're not hearing me this morning, church. Church, there are those moments when you have to encourage yourself and find that conjunction yourself. You know what I started to title this message? Find your butt. There goes the rest of my inbox today. But I'm telling you the truth, church. It's the conjunction. It's what happened when the psalmist was saying all of this thing, something happened within him. He identified that ab- above and beyond all of the voices, all of the things that are happening around me, all of the things that would distract my attention from my first loyalty, I'm going to love the Lord Jesus. I'm going to be grateful for what he has done. I re- realize that he has dealt bountifully with me. And sometimes, church, you just simply have to say, hold on, God, I will trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing because you've been so good to me. David simply was saying this. You know what? I was wallowing in the how longs when suddenly I started to remember all that you've done for me, Jesus. I started to think about everything that you've done. And when I do that, guess what? How long gets put in the background when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he picked me up and turned me around, and how he placed my feet on solid ground. All the how long get put back on the back burner when that happens. What I'm trying to say to you is this, in this season of Thanksgiving, we are identifying, church, our first loyalty because we remember what Christ has done and we choose to realign with His will, His purposes, and His plan for us. What David was saying was this, and don't miss this. He says, you know what? Yeah, all that stuff's happening and it's all there in my life and the backdrop is horrible, but I have more to sing about than I have to complain about. Oh, is that true for anybody in the house today who's got more to sing about than you've got to complain about? That's the pivot. That's the pivot. When David said us this, he said, when I start to think about how you've dealt bountifully with me, I, oh, when your mercy came and covered me in that situation that I just about destroyed my whole family, when I just about destroyed everything, but God, your mercy came. You have dealt bountifully with me. When I think how you've dealt with me, I realize that I've got way more to thank you for than I do to complain about. Oh my goodness, that's my testimony. Is there anybody else you've got more to thank him for than to complain about? Who am I talking to today? If my life has four how longs, my life has four million. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. And you know what, church? That is the language of heaven. Being able to come to that moment where you are truly, truly grateful. You've gone beyond the surface stuff. You're truly grateful. That's the language of heaven to be able to say, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanksgiving is the language of heaven. You better learn how to thank him now because when you get to heaven, you're going to be way out of place sitting there not knowing the language of heaven because you didn't learn it in the classroom of earth. You might as well learn it in the classroom of earth because if you don't thank him down here, what makes you think that all of a sudden you're going to be a person of thanksgiving up there? We're in class, church. We're learning the language of thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Say it with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
You have dealt bountifully with me. I have more to thank you for than I have to complain about. So church, this morning as we finish this service, and don't leave until we're done. We're not done yet. Let's speak the language of praise this morning. Let's speak the language of thanksgiving today. Let's speak the language of thank you, Jesus. Listen to me when I tell you this. The optimist says the glass is half full. The pessimist says the glass is half empty. But the child of God says, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because my first loyalty has been and always will be to King Jesus the Christ. Everyone stand to your feet if you're not already standing. Before we close this service, we're going to spend just a few seconds in giving lavish praise and thanksgiving to God. One of the questions that comes to my mind always as the pastor of this church in any service that we have is this. Have we really worshipped Him, worshiped him yet? Have we really gone into the holy of holies and recognized how great our God is? Have we really done that yet? And I want us to do it this morning. I don't care what hang-ups you have. I don't care what church background you came from. I'm simply asking you to identify your first loyalty. And that's to King Jesus. And to ask, answer the question, has he dealt bountifully with you? A few moments ago, I asked you to think of three things for which you're thankful. You pick your own, but I ask you to pick a person. I ask you to pick a time when God covered you, gave you a measure of mercy that you didn't expect or maybe didn't deserve. And now I'm going to give you the third one. We can't even begin to do this without speaking the language of heaven. And that is we're going to be thankful for Jesus, for all that he has done. You know, I referenced the devotional writer Oswald Chambers a while ago, and he said something else when he said, the thing that awakens the deepest fountain of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven his sins. There is nothing that you can come up with today in this room or any other place on this planet that is more critical or will be more a, a motivation for you to be truly grateful than to recognize that your sins have been forgiven. They're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is anybody in the room thankful today? That I want us for the next 30 seconds to lift our hands, lift our voices, and give thanks, lavish, lavish, Thanks to the name of Jesus. Come on, church. Lift your voice. Lord, you've saved me. Lord, you've healed me. You have dealt bountifully with me. I have more to thank you for than I have to complain about. I lift my voice today to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.